Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Wow. (laughs) Incredibly powerful time of song and worship. The body of Christ comes together and sings the praises of the Lord. Phenomenal. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for worship, Lord. We thank you for the ability to sing praises to you, to recite scripture, to call on your name, Lord. We thank you that, Lord, you've poured out your spirit into believers. Father, we thank you that you've done just a mighty work in our hearts already this morning, Lord. I pray that as we continue to worship through the word, that you would speak clarity, Lord, to us. You would speak truth. You would help us to see and know and understand exactly who you've called us to be. And I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we'd be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Our staff had the opportunity to go this past week for a couple of days to Louisville, Kentucky. Randy and Philip and Jason and I went to a conference at Southern Seminary on family ministry. Just a couple of days, but it was very challenging, very encouraging. We heard some professors and speakers challenge us on the importance of discipling our children in the home. And I, I just want to remind you, on January the 31st, it's a Friday night, and Saturday, February the 1st, Friday night and Saturday morning, we're going to be doing our second annual D6 Family Ministry Summit. It's an opportunity for parents to come and, first of all, on Friday night, learn about marriage. We're going to give you free babysitting. You can show up at 5 o'clock, drop your kids off, go to dinner. You can come back. We'll continue to give you child care. And we'll have some speakers that have come in to talk about marriage. Now, I just want to tell you, you don't have to be struggling in your marriage to come to this. In fact, we need everybody to be here. If you're married, you ought to come hear this because everybody's marriage can improve. So Friday night's going to be a marriage conference, a marriage uh, seminar, a reminder for you. And then Saturday morning, you can come back. Adults with children, you can go to classes. They're going to help train you and help you understand how to disciple your kid in the home. And the classes are based on the age of your child. Deuteronomy 6, you ought to read through it. It's real clear. It's the responsibility of the parents to disciple their children. Now, that doesn't mean there are not other people involved. There are, praise the Lord, for for Sunday school teachers and Awana teachers and youth leaders, and all those people are part of the process. But ultimately, it's the responsibility of the parents to disciple their children. So I'm going to encourage you to to be a part of that January the 31st and February the 1st. But we were, oh, there it is. We were in Louisville, Kentucky, and we were at a seminar speaking to family ministry, and, and we were getting ready to fly home. You can go ahead and take that down there. We were getting ready to fly home on Friday afternoon and we were sitting in the airport. It was late evening and we'd be gone a couple of days. It was a real quick turnaround, but I was sitting there thinking, you know, I'm ready to get home. I'm ready to see my wife. I'm ready to see my children. I'm ready to sleep in my own bed, right? And as I'm kind of thinking about going home and excited about seeing my family, the loudspeakers came on or the intercom came on in the airport and it was the Delta representative there at our gate. She said, if I could have your attention, please, she said, if you'll, you'll turn and look, and the, you know, the people were kind of coming out of the plane. It just landed the one we were going to get back on. She said, coming off the plane now is Lieutenant so-and-so, and she named his name. And she said, he's returning today from a tour for a year in Afghanistan. 
And so we look, and there's this young soldier that comes walking off the plane. He's still in his desert camos and his big backpack, you know, and all of a sudden you see this lady that I guess was his wife run, and they embrace. And, of course, at that moment, the, the whole terminal just erupted in cheers. It was awesome. We're cheering for this guy, you know, and we're, we're clapping for him and, and thanking him for his service. But I sat there, and I kind of watched this moment, and I thought, I thought I was ready to come home. <laughs> Two days seems awfully insignificant compared to what this guy's just gone through, right? And the only real difference is this idea of perspective, right? Two minutes before I saw this guy, I thought I'd been gone for a while. I was ready to go home. (laughs) After I saw what he had been through and heard just a tiny little segment of his story, my perspective changed. Two days is really nothing compared to six months or a year. You know, sometimes as followers of Jesus Christ, our perspective needs to change. Sometimes we need a new perspective because the way we see the world isn't the way the Lord sees the world. Maybe we need a new perspective because the way we're treating people or a certain person isn't the way that the Lord would call us to treat people. Certain people or that one certain person. Maybe we need a new perspective because our walk with Christ isn't what Christ wants it to be. Maybe you need a new perspective at work. Maybe you need a new perspective at home. Maybe you need a new perspective in some relationship. Maybe you need a new perspective with a a co-worker. Or maybe you've just gotten comfortable with your walk in Christ. Maybe your walk has just become a little too easy. Maybe you've settled for just kind of being a nominal believer. Maybe you've settled for less than the best. See, I think as followers of Jesus Christ, especially in the world that we live in, oftentimes we need a new perspective. What we need to do, and what we're going to see this morning, is that sometimes we need to turn our lives Upside down. Now you've probably already noticed, if you haven't, I'd like to draw your attention to a couch. I'd like to have it here so I could sit on it, but they put it on the ceiling instead. No, I'm just kidding. We, we hung this couch upside down as a visual reminder. It's interesting because perspective is very important, right? When my kids came in here to see it this week, the first thing they did is they stood on their heads and they looked at it. And when you do that, it looks normal. It's all about perspective, right? And so this morning, we're going to begin a sermon series that we're calling Upside Down. And it's a sermon series based on Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason we're calling it Upside Down is because what you're going to find in our study is that everything Christ teaches in the Sermon on the Mount is opposite from what the world says. The way Christ commands us to live in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is very much upside down from all the things that the people of the world would say. The world, for instance, says don't murder. Christ says it's not really about murder, it's about anger. Don't even get angry at your brother. We're going to turn it upside down. The world says it's an eye for an eye. Christ says no, it's not. You actually need to turn the other cheek when someone is rude to you. 
The world says you, you need to find treasure here and now and you need to enjoy life right now. Christ says, no, you really don't. What you need to do instead is you need to turn that upside down. You need to build up treasure in heaven. See, the teaching on the Sermon on the Mount for us as followers of Jesus Christ is going to be a new way of thinking. It's going to be a new perspective. It's going to be upside down. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Now I want to give you a little bit of background this morning before we delve into our study in Matthew chapter 5. And I want to help you understand the context of exactly where we are in Scripture and exactly what Christ has been doing up to this point. Jesus has started his ministry. Jesus has been through temptation. Jesus has called his disciples. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 has begun to kind of walk around Galilee. He's begun to minister to people. He's begun to teach people. He's begun to heal people. And because of the things that he's done, large crowds have gathered. So if you were to look at the end of Matthew chapter 4, the last three verses say this. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogue and proclaiming, excuse me, teaching in their synagogue, preaching the good news of the kingdom, Healing every disease and sickness among them. So, verse 24, news about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So we've got this context where Jesus has begun to do some pretty incredible things. He's begun to minister to people, he's begun to love people, he's begun to heal people, and because of that, great crowds of people have begun to follow him and chase after him. And so we come to Matthew chapter 5, and we see that because of Jesus' call to his disciples, because of what Christ is trying to accomplish, there comes this moment when he begins to teach them. He begins to train them, he begins to speak to them. One commentator who wrote a very famous commentary on the Sermon on the Mount says this, The Sermon on the Mount is the compacted, congealed theology of Christ and is perhaps the most profound section of the entire New Testament and the whole Bible. No other section of Scripture makes us face ourselves like the Sermon on the Mount. Now the Sermon on the Mount is called the Sermon on the Mount. You probably already know this because Christ went up on a mountainside to teach his disciples and to teach his people. Probably the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. And the Sermon on the Mount is the longest, most continuous sermon of Christ in all the Bible. In fact, if you were to read in Matthew chapter 5, 1, which we'll see here in just a few minutes, the Bible says that he went up on the mountain and he began to teach. He teaches through Matthew chapter 5, he teaches through Matthew chapter 6, he teaches through Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 8 verse 1 says he came down from the mountain and great crowds followed him. So we see this context of Jesus beginning his ministry, doing amazing things, crowds have gathered, people are following, he sees a need now because of all this happened to begin to train and to begin to teach and he's going to lay out for his people what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. One writer describing the Sermon on the Mount talks about the fact that this is The king who's come and his kingdom is at hand. And so he says that the Sermon on the Mount is an opportunity for the king to declare to the subject how they ought to live. 
It's a picture of the Christian walk. It's the picture of life in Christ. And for the first time in Matthew, Jesus is going to delve into very specific things that we all need to understand. Now, here's what you need to prepare yourself for over the next many weeks. You're going to be challenged. You're going to be encouraged. And you're probably going to be convicted. Now, I just want to go ahead and kind of put the asterisk beside this sermon series and give you a little disclaimer. If at any point during this sermon series you're angry, it's something we study, you can take it up with the Lord first. Because he said it. Once you settle out with him, maybe you and I can talk. <laughs> but I can promise you there are going to be sections of the scripture that are going to be challenging for us. They're going to be difficult to understand. But we're going to wade through it together. We're going to walk through it together. Because I think it's a picture of how we ought to live our lives. And I think based on the context of the culture in which we live, it's about time that believers turn some things upside down. So let's look together Matthew chapter 5. We're just going to look at the first two verses this morning. And then we're going to give kind of an overview of where we're going. And we're going to look at some specific challenges that we're going to face over the next many weeks. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. I think we have it on the screen. Do we have it on the screen, Wanda? No, it's okay. It's real short. I'll read it. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside. There it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he sat down. Again, it's a position of authority. The teachers then sat down. The students stood up. I tried to get that to happen one time in my classroom. None of the kids would bite. I wanted to sit the whole time, get them to stand. That's the way the Jewish teachers actually used to do it. So he sat down. It's a position of authority. It's a position of teaching. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Now, we're going to stop there this morning, and we're going to look at some challenges that we're going to face over the next several weeks. And here's the first challenge I want you to see, number one. The Sermon on the Mount is going to challenge us to live our lives upside down. The Sermon on the Mount, that's point number one, I think we have that on the screen, is going to challenge us to live our lives upside down. Now, everything about what Christ is going to say over the next three chapters in the book of Matthew are opposite of what the world will say. It's amazing as you read through it, it's almost like every... Major thing he says, there's, there's some opposite view in the world that we hear today. Now the Sermon on the Mount begins in verse 3 with what's called the Beatitudes of the Blessings. And some of you are very familiar with the Beatitudes. But the interesting thing about the Beatitudes, and we're going to delve into those next week and study those in some real depth. But the interesting thing about the Beatitudes or the Blessings is that when we read them, they don't seem like real blessings to us. You say, I don't, I don't follow what you mean here. Well, let me, let me give you an example. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, the first beatitude says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, no, wait a minute, Lord. You're, you're, you're not really blessed when you're poor, right? You get that, Lord, right? <laughs> blessed are the poor in spirit. No, 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 that, that's, that's wrong, Lord. You're actually, you're actually blessed when you have a lot, not, not when you're poor. For, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. No, 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 wait a minute, Lord. <laughs> it's not really a blessing to mourn. It's a blessing instead to be happy, right? And, and to have joy. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. No, 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 Lord. It's, it's not a blessing to be meek. It's a blessing instead to be strong, right? Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. No, 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 Lord. It's, it's not a blessing to be hungry and thirsty. <laughs> it's a blessing to have food and to have drink and, and to have plenty. 
Verse 10, blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness' sake. No, no, Lord, it's not a, it's not a blessing to be, to be persecuted. It's a blessing when we have it easy and, and get all the things we want. Lord, Lord, I think you got it wrong, if I could just be so bold. <laughs> None of these things are actual blessings. Lord, so I, I've kind of rewritten the 2014 version of the Beatitudes, the way the world sees it. Blessed are the rich, for they can buy whatever they want. Right? That, those are the people that are blessed. We all know that. Blessed are those that are happy, for they never have a bad day. Those are the blessed people. Blessed are those that are strong, for they can conquer any challenge. Blessed are those that have much food and drink, for they will never be hungry. Blessed are those that always get what they want, for they never have to struggle for anything. See, that's kind of the way we think of blessings, right? But here's the simple truth of the Sermon on the Mount that you're going to be challenged with over and over and over again over the next many weeks. Our way of seeing the world and Christ's way of seeing the world are oftentimes vastly different. You understand that? And so I think as believers sometimes we need to re-examine our perspective. And I think sometimes as believers we need to kind of turn things upside down. I don't know if you're like me, but I enjoy a movie every now and then. And so I'll go see a movie. Every now and then I convince Amy to go see a movie with me. She's not a big movie fan. We'll go occasionally. Sometimes I'll get together with some guys and we'll go see a late movie. But it's always funny to me. You go see a movie and you sit through the same movie and maybe you're eating popcorn. You Same credits. Everything's the same. And you come out of the theater and if you're like us, on the way back to the car, you kind of debrief the movie, right? What'd you think? Well, you know, it's awesome. No, that was a great, it was one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. And, you know, you're, you're talking about it. It's always interesting to me because when you get a group of people, you're always going to have some different opinions. And it's always strange to me how we can see the same movie. And, and my buddy says, oh, it was amazing. I mean, the plot and the character development, the action and how it all resolved in the end. I thought it was one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, I thought it was terrible. I mean, it didn't make any sense to me. It was hokey, and the, the action was silly, and didn't look realistic. And so we begin to have this conversation. We've seen the same movie, and yet we've got totally different perspectives of what we've seen, right? It's kind of like that with life. We're looking at the same world Christ is looking at, although I know we don't see the ins and outs that he sees and have his sovereignty as wisdom. But I'm looking at the world one way, and I'm seeing one thing. Christ is looking at the same world and seeing something totally different. And he explains to us the way that we understand life. And the way that we understand truth shouldn't be based on what we see, but on what Christ says. And what we begin to understand if we're going to live life for his glory is that we need to have Christ's perspective on the world, not our own perspective. You say, well, I hear what you're saying, Adam. It's a a call to be upside down. It's a call to have a different perspective. But if I'm going to be... Living like this, if I'm going to have a different perspective, if I'm going to kind of turn everything upside down, then I'm going to look vastly different than the rest of the world. I'm not going to look like everybody else. I'm not going to say the same sorts of things. I'm not going to act the same way. And, you know, I'm going to kind of stand out from the crowd. And, and Adam, I hear what you're saying and I hear the teaching. But if you're calling us to be missional, if you're calling us to reach the world for Christ, doesn't it make a lot more sense for us to look like the world? I mean, isn't it a lot easier if I kind of blend in with everybody and I look like this person and I say the same kinds of things this person says? 
And I act the same way this person acts. And I just kind of, I kind of blend in and I kind of say the same things and do the same things and act the same ways. But here's the problem with that thinking. It may make sense to you in your mind, but the scripture never calls us to live like the world. In fact, the teaching of the scripture over and over and over and over again is that we need to be different. We need to stand out from the crowd. We need to live our lives upside down. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who, if you've never read anything by Martin Lloyd-Jones, you should enrich your life and read one of his books. He's a pastor from England, lived decades ago, has written countless works, and he's very well known for taking one text of Scripture and preaching nine sermons on the one text. And you would think, well, that must be awfully boring. It's incredibly fascinating. You should read some of his stuff. But he's written an incredibly thick commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm trying to read through portions of it, and I came across a quote about living different. I want to read to you. Martin Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, The glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. It should not be our ambition to be as much like everybody else as we can, though we happen to be Christian but rather to be as different from everybody who is not a Christian as we can possibly be. Our ambition should be to be like Christ. The more like Him, the better. And the more like Him we become, the more we shall be unlike everybody who is not a Christian. You say, well, that's opposite. That's backwards. That's upside down. We're exactly right. See, we're never called in Scripture to be like the world, to live like the world. We're called instead to be like Christ. And so you're going to be challenged over and over and over again throughout these next many weeks because of the teaching of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount to live your life upside down, to be different. Here's the second challenge. The Sermon on the Mount is going to challenge us to live by Christ's truth. The Sermon on the Mount is going to call us to live by Christ's truth. Now, let me make a distinction here and be very clear. We're not called to live by our own truth. We're not called to live by what we think is right. We're called to a higher standard of Scripture. And we're called to live our lives based on what Christ says, not what we think. But here's the difficulty with living Christ's truth. The teachings of the Word of God can sometimes be very difficult for us, right? It's not the way we've been used to living. It's not the way we've heard everybody else live. It's not the way that seems popular. It's not the way that even seems sometimes fun. Lord, you're calling me to live like this. You're calling me to act like this, and it's so different from what the world says. Here's the problem we face in the world. So many decisions in our world are based on what we like and what makes us comfortable and what entertains us. Now, there's nothing wrong with entertainment. There's nothing wrong with being comfortable. I'm I'm not saying there is. But just imagine for a second your evenings, okay? You work hard all day. You come home from work. You know, you're with your family, your kids. Maybe you put your kids to bed. You've got an hour free, finally. It's amazing when you have children how much an hour means all of a sudden, right? (laughs) An hour. Got a whole hour. Kids are in bed. I can do what I want to do. And you've got a choice, you say, you know, Lord, I know, I know I hadn't spent any time in the Word of God lately, and I hadn't spent any time in prayer, but man, there's this show on that I've been dying to see, and 
I'm already a couple of weeks behind, and I'm just going to watch this show tomorrow, Lord. I'll spend some time with the Lord. Now, now I want to be careful. I'm not, I'm not preaching legalism here. I'm not saying you have to spend 6 to 7 p.m. every night reading the Word. What I am saying is there ought to be a pattern in your life where sometimes you give up pleasure for the sake of the Lord. We ought to live like that. There ought to be moments in every one of our lives where we say, you know what, this would bring me pleasure, and this is what I want to do, but Lord, you're calling me to something more. You're calling me to something greater. Lord, I know I've got this week off and I've got some things planned and, you know, we're thinking about vacation. And, and again, those things are good. But maybe as we're challenged by the truth of the teaching of the Word of God, maybe the Lord convicts us a little bit. Why don't you use that time to help somebody else? Why don't you use that time instead of entertaining yourself to live for Christ? Why don't you reorient your priorities? Why don't you turn your world upside down? Because if you study the life of Christ, if we're going to be like Christ, it was never about his entertainment. It was never about what he wanted to do. It was always about service to the Father. And it led him all the way to death. And I think one of the problems with Christianity in our context and in our culture is we're so saturated with me, 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 entertainment, do the things I want to do, that we miss the truth of the teaching of the Word of God and we miss His blessings. Because according to Christ, we're not blessed when we're rich, we're blessed when we're poor. We're not blessed when we're well-fed, we're blessed when we're hungry. We're not necessarily blessed because we have joy. Sometimes we can be blessed when we mourn. Why? Because Christ calls us to a different life. He calls us to a different place. He calls us to a different orientation. He calls us to a different truth. You know, if you spend any time reading through the Old Testament, there are all sorts of very interesting themes you begin to discover. One of the themes of the Old Testament is that the Lord calls his people to be holy. That's a truth that we should live by. Now, holiness has got a lot of different nuances that we kind of talk through the differences of what it means. But if we wanted to kind of simplify the idea of holiness. Holiness means that we are set apart. And so the Lord says so many times in the Old Testament to be holy for I am holy. If you've ever read through Leviticus and you begin to read all these laws and these rituals and they had to clean animals a certain way and they had to do this with the blood and they had to, all these strange things. It was so that they would be set apart from all the pagan societies that lived around them. All the pagan societies did it this way and the Lord said, no, no, you do it this way. It may not make sense to you, but you're going to be holy. You're going to be set apart for me. Now, the interesting thing about this idea of being set apart and being holy is that it continues through Christ. Christ says the same thing. In fact, in the book of Matthew, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And I want you to just notice how opposite this is from what the world says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Well, that doesn't make sense. That's opposite. That's upside down. But here's the truth. See, because the Lord loves us so much, and because the Lord has a very special plan for our lives, because the Lord is calling us to something more, to something greater, he asks us to be set apart. See, here's the truth of the teaching of the Word of God. The Lord's got an incredible plan for your life. And yes, I'm talking to you. 
the person that thinks, if you just knew what I did, you wouldn't think the Lord had a plan for my life. If you just knew what I thought, you wouldn't think the Lord had a plan for my life. If you knew where I'd been, Adam, if you knew what I did yesterday, if you knew what I did to this person 10 years ago, if you knew, Adam, you wouldn't think the Lord has a plan for my life. But here's the truth of Scripture. Christ gave his life for you. And that means no matter what you've done or where you've been or whatever sin you've committed, it's covered. And he's taking care of it. And so we're going to be challenged over the next many weeks to live our lives based on the truth of Christ's teaching. Now, now, number three, we need to kind of wind this down this morning. Number three. We're going to be challenged to live upside down. We're going to be challenged to make decisions based on the teachings of Scripture, on Christ's truth, not our own truth. And number three, the Sermon on the Mount will challenge us to be missional. The Sermon on the Mount will challenge us to be missional. Now, if you spend any time reading the Gospels and you spend any time studying the life of Christ, you know that Jesus was awfully concerned with the multitudes. He was awfully concerned with these large groups of people that were, for whatever reason, struggling. And so we see time after time, the Bible says something like this, Jesus looked out, he saw the multitudes, he saw the need, and he had compassion on them. We just read Matthew 4, 23 a few minutes ago when he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Later in his ministry, Matthew chapter 9, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew chapter 14, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. See, Jesus kind of followed this very interesting, very simple missional model. Here's what he did. He looked out and he saw the physical needs of the people and he met those needs. And when he met those physical needs, it gave him an audience so he could then meet their spiritual needs. That's kind of the way he did it. I mean, there's, there, there are some exceptions to that rule, but basically Christ said, look, I'm going to love you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to give you all these things and provide for your needs. And when you do that, then I want to talk to you about your faith. Then I want to talk to you about your sins. And I think, what a simple model to live our lives by. What if we decided we were just going to love people in the name of Jesus in order to have an opportunity to talk to them about their faith? What if we decided we were just going to reach out to our neighbor and we were going to live our lives upside down and do things they don't expect us to do simply because we love Christ and simply because we want to have a conversation with them about spiritual things? What if we went to our neighbor and said, I just want to do something for you because I'm a believer and Christ loves me and I just want to love you in the name of Christ. I want to cut your grass next week. Can I do that? Yeah. <laughs> you sure can. That's upside down. You know, I wonder how many people show up at their house and ask if they can cut their grass. Not many. You see, Christ calls us to a different standard. He calls us to reorient our priorities. He calls us to live our lives upside down. One commentator said it like this. If only every Christian in the church today were living the Sermon on the Mount, the great revival for which we are praying and longing would already have started. Amazing and astounding things would happen. The world would be shocked. 
And men and women would be drawn and attracted to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now some of you are thinking, well, you know, you, you, you've talked last week about missional living and about being on mission with God and about reaching out to the community and local missions and how that's going to be a focus for 2014. And it is, and I'm going to keep bringing it up. <laughs> if you don't like it, you've got some serious praying to do because you're going to hear me say it a lot this next year. But Adam, you've been talking about this. You've been mentioning missional living. Give us some tangible things. Give us some sort of a challenge that we can do. Well, I'm so glad you asked. Because one of the things I'm going to do throughout this sermon series is challenge you with some very tangible things. And then I'm going to remind you of those things on a regular basis. So here's your challenge today. I'm going to challenge you in 2014. Once a month or on some sort of a regular basis, that's between you and the Lord. I want you to invite a family that you know is not a believing family into your home for a meal. It's that simple. I mean, people have to eat, right? You're going to probably eat at some point at home this next year. Why not combine the two, right? Go to your neighbor. Hey, John, we're going to grill out some hamburgers tomorrow, and the kids are going to be in the backyard. I think your kids will love throwing the ball around. Why don't y'all come over, we'll grill out some hamburgers, and we'll just enjoy time together. Yeah, that sounds great. We'd love to do that. We'd love to come over, and you have them to your house, and you love them in the name of Christ. You don't have to hammer them with tracts. You don't have to get up at 6.30 and preach a message. You don't have to open the Word and read 50 verses. You don't have to do anything. Just love them in the name of Christ and begin to look for opportunities to share your faith. That's what mission living is about. It's that simple. It's not rocket science. Meet physical needs, become aware of physical needs, become aware of spiritual needs, and then have spiritual conversations. It's just a real simple little easy model. Just imagine if every family in this church did that four or five times a year. We'd reach hundreds and hundreds of families for Christ this year alone. By eating a hamburger in our backyard. See, the Lord calls us to do things differently. The Lord calls us to have a new perspective the Lord calls us to live our lives upside down. And so for the next many weeks, we're, we're going to be challenged. We're going to be encouraged. We're going to be convicted. But of all the things the Lord's going to do, here's my hope and here's my prayer. I hope throughout this study we are changed. Changed more into the image of Christ. Because some of us have come to a rut in our Christian walk. And we've just kind of been following that rut and doing that same thing and not really interested in the things of the Lord and we need to view the world like Christ does. We need to love people more. We need to give sacrificially to those in need. We need to share the gospel more often. We need to do things differently. We need to live upside down. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the truth of your word, for the clarity of your word. Father, we thank you for the challenge that it always places upon our lives and our hearts, Lord. Lord, we're all honest to say it's not easy to be different. It's not easy to live life upside down. It's not easy to be Michelin in our thoughts and, and always recognize those needs. Father, we, we pray day by day by day you would just begin to change our hearts. You'd begin to change our minds. You'd begin to change our outlooks and our perspectives, Father. You'd make us aware of the need, aware of the people, Father, aware of how we can plug in and how we can live life upside down, 
how we can be different, Father, for your honor and for your glory. Lord, you do an amazing work through this series. You challenge us. You change us. Lord, you do something we can't even imagine because of your glory and because of your power through us. And we'll give you the praise when it's done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to invite you, if you want to come and spend some time at the altar praying, maybe you need to reorient your priorities. Maybe you need to take seriously this idea of living life upside down. Maybe you need to repent of your sins for the first time and accept Christ as your Savior. Maybe you want to join this church, but this is your time now as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.